Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, I'm blown away like many of you are about what you saw on Saturday from Georgia against South Carolina. This is a team that's just playing at such an incredibly high level right now. And you may say, well, some of that's opponent dependent. Georgia just played an FCS level opponent, um, you know, last Saturday against Samford. And who's to say that South Carolina is very good and blah, 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 blah. But the truth is, is while some of this may seem opponent dependent, I'm not quite so sure how true that really is. The Oregon team that Georgia beat 49-3 to begin the season just had a very impressive home win against number 12 BYU on Saturday. All of a sudden, that neutral site, non-conference game that Georgia played in Atlanta to begin the year seems like a pretty strong data point in Georgia's favor. And South Carolina, while that may have not been the best team in the SEC, this was a bowl team a year ago. I expect to see them in the postseason again this year. And you were on the road in hostile territory in Williams-Brice Stadium. And if you're a Georgia fan that's got some years on him, uh, on you like I kind of do, you've been there before and you've seen what a house of horrors this has kind of been in the past. And when you see Georgia just marching through its opponent in that same stadium on this past Saturday, I think that you're left from the perspective of history to say, this is just a different kind of Georgia team. And they are playing at a different kind of level that maybe even they played a year ago. I tweeted this on Saturday. I'm going to stand by it, that I think it's time to have the conversation of whether or not this Georgia team isn't a step down from the national champion or this Georgia team isn't a trying to pick up the pieces and rebuild after losing all of the talent from the uh, team from a year ago, that this Georgia team right now is actually taking it to another gear, taking it to a higher level against uh, anybody that's playing compared to what it was last year, that this Georgia team might be even better right now than it was last year in a national championship season. I think that's a real conversation and one that we ought to have. In fact, let's let Kirby Smart's words kind of be the guide for us on this. When he met with reporters to begin his post-game press conference on Saturday, laid out the way in which he challenged his team coming into the game and what he saw from that team during the game, kind of a classic Kirby description for a team that played kind of a classic Kirby Smart style of football in this particular game. So much fun to watch. This is what Kirby said about it when it was all said and done. Yeah, I thought we challenged our guys to come on the road in the SEC and play really physical um, attack from the get-go. Um, we talked about you know, not, not treading water when we come in here. We're coming in here to be the attacker and to hunt and, and not be hunted. And um, I thought our kids bought into that. And uh, they, 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 they wanted to get on it from the jump. They wanted to be physical from the jump. Uh, I thought we had some opportunistic stops on defense again. I thought our offense was uh, explosive and executed well. Um, they're hard to stop when they're working on the perimeter and up inside. So it makes it uh, tough to defend a quarterback that can run and do those things. But I was most proud of the composure the kids showed. The second half drive to open the second half meant a lot to me. We had a dumb penalty, started backed up, and all I really wanted to see was us come out in the second half and, 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 and close the door. And I thought they did that well. I thought our guys responded in the heat and played well in the heat, and uh, I appreciate how hard they worked to, to put us in this situation. I mean, there is just something about seeing that scene, as Kirby said, early second half where every hope that the Gamecocks would have had to even make this a close football game was all vanquished you may have seen the picture I tweeted out a lot of other folks kind of shared this too that South Carolina student section that's so famous for like the sandstorm and the bouncing up and down and waving the towels and all that kind of stuff and we kind of built a lot of our pregame coverage around you know the hostile environment Georgia was going to find itself in the fact that for some Georgia players they hadn't really been in an environment like that before uh that that was really kind of the story and as Kirby Smart said hey you've got to have composure and you've got to have be able to sort of exercise that muscle in a situation like this we see how you perform in favorable conditions in Atlanta against Oregon or in Athens against a, a Sanford we see you how, you how you play when things are going your way but what about when the entire stadium or at least the majority of the stadium doesn't want you to succeed what about when they're trying to do things to impact you negatively how do you respond then well we saw how emphatically Georgia responded on Saturday and I think it's a real message. You've been hearing me say a lot. Hashtag go for two and 22. I give you the two fingers around here a lot. I'm not saying peace. I'm saying come get your peace. Because right now, Georgia is that team who is playing, I believe, at a higher level now through three games, a quarter of the way through the regular season 
than it did even in the early stages of what turned out to be its national championship season a year ago. I mean, think about this. Last year, neutral site, non-conference opponent, week one, Clemson. Georgia won the game 10-3, had to get a defensive score just to have any margin for victory whatsoever. Well, this year, against a similar opponent in a similar situation, Atlanta, neutral site, non-conference game, they're beating Oregon 49-3, to right? It's the same level of defensive performance, not giving up a touchdown, but the offensive performance was touchdowns on seven consecutive drives to begin the game. That's a clear advantage for 2022 in comparison to 2021. Georgia, for the first time on Saturday, played a opponent that had also played last year. No disrespect to the 2021 team. They went through South Carolina relatively easy, won the game 40-13. to You'll remember, though, there were some passing plays given up. Josh Van, who, for whatever reason, under a big part of what South Carolina is doing right now but but last year josh van kind of had a pretty good game against the dogs he gave up 13 points uh to the gamecocks and that's a game that was at home that's a game that conceivably should be a little easier for georgia in this particular case in columbia you're winning 48 to 7 you're scoring more points you're giving up fewer points it's a pretty simple way of kind of pointing out that yeah right now georgia is playing at an incredibly high level and you kind of wonder where it can even go from here now one more point i want to make on this here just for a moment the other thing that I thought was cool about Saturday is, okay, well, it won't always be this easy. Even for someone like me, who is very bullish on Georgia right now, even I'll acknowledge, eventually you're going to play a tougher game. You may get somebody to sneak up on you in the regular season, certainly come postseason, December, January. You're going to play a tougher game at some point in time. And what was cool about Saturday is I think that Georgia reminded you of what it could be when it needs to be in a tough, close situation. In other words, the thing that we called out for a lot last week is we said, hey, you got to get Brock Bowers more involved. Remember on, I think it was Thursday show, I forget if it was Thursday or Friday, but we, we kind of focused in on Bowers in particular and said, listen, as varied and multiple as Georgia's been offensively, this is still Georgia's best offensive weapon. This is still the guy that you're going to need to lean on if and when you do get into a closed game. This is still your best offensive player. And I think the Bowers has the look of a future top 10 pick, things like that. This is a game-breaking player for you on offense. And so when you re- need to move the chains in a close game, Alabama SEC championship or so-and-so in the college football playoff or whatever else, no disrespect to anybody else in the Georgia offense, when you have to have it bowers is the guy that you're going to have to lean on to go out there and get that well guess what on saturday we got the reminder of why brock bowers is still every bit as good as we all thought he was last year and every bit the important potential focal point for this georgia offense again this year three touchdowns two through the air one on the ground all of them to dazzling effect the one kind of the corner of the end zone one of the great highlights you'll ever see and once again Kirby Smart uh kind of talking about Brock Bowers after that game and kind of what he saw from him offensively and Smart also kind of pivots back to the entire uh, group there as well but let's not kid ourselves here Bowers is still a standout performer Kirby from Saturday you know the thing about Brock that's so hard you don't get to measure is the amount of tension he draws you know 121 whatever that is yards five for five but you know Three or four of those plays that Brock made, there are people blocking down the field, elite blocking down the field. So Darnell Washington on one of the little crack screens we run pins a guy, and the hole guys holes are created through displacement, not just blocking. Darnell displaces people. So I think Brock would be the, the first one to tell you that his success comes from a lot of perimeter and things like that, touches that other guys uh, make great blocks on. Marcus Rosemey had two or three, the, the selflessness of this group. Now, the play he made in the corner of the end zone, nobody blocked for him on that one because that was a, a elite catch. Um, and then the run after catch on the play action. But, again, the play action play he made in the second half was set up by the run. You know, if you run the ball two or three times, those safeties are coming down and he's running by you. Uh, but he's a special player and – I don't know that I've been around somebody that works as hard as he and Darnell do in practice. I think Kirby Smart gives you a really interesting answer to a question that was asked about Brock Bowers and we're reacting to his performance there. I think that Kirby gives you a very interesting answer to all that because you notice that several times during the question, he kept wanting to pivot back to what he and Darnell Washington are doing together and the way in which that, that Bowers got blocked for and the way in which that, that, you know, you know various things with the offense kind of create the the entire landscape for all that to take place 
I think that Kirby very much enjoys right now the team nature of what George is doing offensively. Yes, Stetson Bennett's off to a great start with his season. We'll talk more about Bennett before our show is done today, including the sort of odd level of sickness that he sort of seemingly shook off to have the performance that he did. But when it comes to the guys on the receiving end from Bennett thus far this year, it's been a lot of different guys in kind of a lot of different ways. It was like Kenny McIntosh in week one. It was Brock Bowers there on Saturday. It's been Darnell Washington some here too. And Kirby, I think, likes the the varied way in which all that's happening. But I think that Bowers also reminds you there too is, hey, when the going gets tough, you have to have a hierarchy and you have to have a pecking order. You have to have an alpha. And Brock Bowers is the alpha among alphas on this Georgia offense. He is, I think, without a doubt, the best player for Georgia on that side of the ball. And he's the guy that I think you want with the ball in his hand when the game is on the line. And at some point in time, Georgia is clearly going to be tested more than it was through the uh, first three games here of this regular season. And when that test comes, you were reminded on Saturday that Brock Bowers is the guy that you'll lean on when it matters most, when things are at their toughest. So the overall bottom line for me on all of this is, is that Georgia didn't just show you on Saturday how good it is through three games, every bit as good, if not better than it was in its national championship regular season. I think you can say that. But it also provided you a glimpse as well of what it can be to come, that if it ever gets tested, if it ever gets challenged, if it ever needs to move the chains in a tough situation, Brock Bauer is the kind of guy that can do that for you. So it wasn't just a glimpse of what Georgia is. It may be a little bit of a preview of what they still can be as this season rolls on. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. And if you're watching us on video, you see it. Hashtag go for two in 22. That's what we're saying for Georgia here right now. You see me throw up the two fingers. Uh, you hear us use that hashtag. It was great right before we were starting our Dog Nation postgame show from down in the field at williams Bryce Stadium on Saturday. Somebody uh, shouted that out to me. BA, go for two and 22. Uh, I love it. I love it. I, I love the fact that dog fans are embracing that. Love the fact that seems like such a real possibility as we finish the first quarter poll here of this 2022 season. As we go through all of this, happy to have you with us on Dog Nation Daily here today and happy to have our friends at Pella, Window and Door of Georgia as a big part of that there as well. Of course, they're the uh, ones that you turn to when it comes to those great energy-efficient windows and doors. Great product, famous product. Homeowners in the Atlanta area have been recognizing Pella Window and Door of Georgia as the brand leader for quite some time. And you better believe that when you stop by and see them in their Experience Center in Duluth or when you go to the website PellaGA.com slash Dog Nation, you're going to experience the same thing for yourself. Why these doors, why these windows are just viewed to be the best. And we say that all the time, but you'll see it for yourself. It's more than just a slogan. When you install them, uh, it's going to be something that's going to make your home look better on the outside, which could certainly increase the curb appeal, which can mean positive things for your resale value but it's also going to make you think you feel great on the inside there too because it's keeping that energy that stuff that you pay so much for whether it be the nice cold air here in the warm weather season or the or the heat that comes in the colder weather time of year it's going to keep it right there in your house where you want it to be that is what Pella window indoor of george is all about also great savings here right now there as well because between now and the end of the month september 30th you can get no payments no interest for 12 months or 50 percent off qualifying installation simply go to pella of ga.com slash dog nation that's pella of ga.com slash dog nation or give them a call 678-638-1496 that's 678-638-1496 pella window indoor of georgia is viewed to be the best all right, so we're going to get John Stinchcomb coming up in a moment. Some fun stuff with John here. Before that, though, let's go around the doghouse, assisted today by our friends at AAA. And I want to start with a rumor, and then I want to get to, uh, I guess, kind of maybe the reason why this rumor even exists. So one of the big national college football stories yesterday was the fact that Arizona State finally did what a lot of folks thought they were going to have to do at some point in time. That's moving on from head coach Herm Edwards. You may have even seen the video. It appears that Edwards may have been fired in the end zone on the field after the game was over with because some of the key decision makers for Arizona State were kind of meeting him there. They had a very serious looking conversation. And I mean, if you watch the video and it's not hard to find online, it certainly appears that Edwards may have been dropped right there in the uh, in the stadium after the game uh, was done. So moving on from him there at Arizona State, and now you're left to wonder, okay, well, you know, what does that mean with a kind of a sort of power five job coming available? 
And I thought it was interesting that Pete Thamel from ESPN put out a list of candidates for the Arizona State job. And one of the names you're going to recognize on this list is obviously Georgia offensive coordinator Todd Munkin. Let me show you this from Thamel on Twitter who says, names to consider for Arizona State, Brian Harson, who's about to be <laughs> available, one would think. Kwane Sataki, that's uh, obviously an assistant from the uh, BYU staff. Jonathan Smith, that's the Oregon State head coach. Tom Herman, Troy Calhoun, Charles Huff, that's the uh, Marshall coach. Uh, Matt Entz, Sean Lewis, Bill O'Brien, Todd Munkin is what Thamel mentions, go along with uh, Derek Mason and Alex Grinch. Now, typically speaking, I would say that the Arizona State job is probably in the upper half of the Pac-12. You know, it's the kind of place where you can be in the top 25 at Arizona State. I don't know that right now the scenario there in Tempe is quite so favorable here, though, on that. Obviously, Herm Edwards has had a kind of a mess when it comes to recruiting. I think the Pac-12 itself, in terms of how it handled the pandemic from a couple of years ago, I think all Pac-12 programs have been diminished because of that. And I think that if you're a smart coach, I think you're probably considering that. And if you're making a lot of money here at Georgia the way that Munkin is, I don't know that bolting for Arizona State right now is the kind of thing that probably makes a ton of sense. In a normal situation, Arizona State's a good job. Is it a good job right now after kind of an embarrassing tenure for Herm Edwards and kind of an embarrassing period for the league in terms of how it handled the pandemic? I don't know that I would feel very good about going out west right now. I think they're coming out from some of that a little bit, and the league's actually playing pretty well in the field right now. But to me, Pac-12 coaching positions are still damaged goods right now. I think that Munkin, as well-paid as he is, is probably smart enough to know that. But here's the other thing that also we all kind of know as well is that you don't keep offensive coordinators forever. That if the guy that you have is performing the way that he's supposed to be, you are going to see his name show up as a as a rumored candidate for any coaching job because everybody wants a good offensive mind. Scoring points is the name of the game. And right now, that is what George is doing. What are they averaging now? Y'all are better at math than I am. Somewhere in the neighborhood of, what, 44 points per game thus far this season? We said before the year, is it possible that Georgia could actually exceed after being at, what, just under 39 points per game last year? Is it possible they could exceed that number and kind of get into the 40s? We even said, hey, a magic number for me might be somewhere in the neighborhood of, like, say, 42 points per game. Well, through three games, Georgia's even higher than that, a number that some people thought was probably impossible. Well, through three games, it seems not just possible, but probable based on the way they're currently playing. And once again, to hear from Kirby again, the guy that's a rumored candidate, maybe for some coaching jobs, whatever else, but doing a bang-up job of coaching this Georgia offense right now, leading them to an area offensively I don't think the program's ever been before. And Kirby gave Munkin due credit for the way in which he approached this game during his post-game remarks on Saturday. Once again, here's Kirby, this time on Todd Munkin. I mean, he was aggressive. Um, he did a good job calling it. He pushed together a good game plan. He'll tell you himself. He's got a great offensive staff. And he's got guys that are in the room that have coached in the SEC, that understand the SEC. You know, the addition of Searles, BMAC, Bobo. I mean, those guys come up with game plan things. They know these teams. They know the personnel of these teams. So it really helps when you have a good game plan and you actually have people that can execute it because they have experience. I mean, it's, it's hard to defend a quarterback that can check things, make throws, has weapons, and then he can run on top of it. So, I mean, we, we've got to keep getting better, uh, and we got to execute at a high level. But the biggest thing for them and for our offense is not getting complacent. I want to say two things here really quickly. Isn't it interesting that the kind of approach that Kirby took to answering the Brock Bowers question a moment ago, he kind of takes to answering the, the Todd Monken question there once again. When we asked about Bowers, it was a specific question about him, but Kirby uses that time to pivot towards another tight end, Darnell Washington, other aspects of the offense, you know, giving credit to Bowers, but also speaking about that within the larger look at the offense overall. And it's kind of one of those same type of things. Hey, how'd you feel about Todd Munkin today? Oh, I love Todd Munkin. He's aggressive. He's whatever, whatever. And, you know, Stacey Searles and Brian McClendon and, you know, even Mike Bobo, kind of a sports staffer, they all get a mention there too. I think the one thing you're going to see a lot from Kirby Smart, and you've already seen, you're going to continue to see it is, is that the whole idea of the connection that he wants the, the Georgia team to have, like that may sound like coach speak and it might cause our eyes to gloss over a little bit because it just sort of sounds kind of touchy feely for a game like football that's so physical and violent. But I think that Smart really believes in that. And I think when you go back and look at how Georgia won a national championship a year ago, we had Georgia players saying, hey, 
we do feel connected to each other. They had those skull sessions, those meetings with each other where they got to know each other better. They understood, as Smart described it, their why. Why do you play the game? Why does football matter to you? That's the kind of thing that that I think they learned to appreciate about each other last year. And I do think from a cultural standpoint, that was actually pretty important for Georgia. And when Smart answers a lot of these questions this year, you can tell that that he's answering them in such a way that it's not just about the greatness of a Brock Bowers or the greatness of a Todd Munkin. It's about those guys as component pieces in an organizational level of greatness right now. And I don't think that's coach speak from Kirby. I think he does truly mean that. I think he does truly believe in that. But how about the last thing that uh, that he says there? Basically talking about how hard Stetson Bennett is to defend right now. And isn't it funny to watch that metamorphosis occur? We're going to talk more about Bennett in his day on Saturday before our show is done today. But Bennett has obviously gone from a player that was mocked, in some cases even by Georgia fans, in some cases media that covers this team. Um, and then people kind of settled into, well, he may not be the best quarterback in the world, but he kind of gets the job done for Georgia. He may, be, he may not be right for anybody else, but, but he's at least right for Georgia. And now it seems that things, things have kind of evolved again to the point where all of a sudden now Stetson Bennett's not just the quarterback that kind of, you know, holding on to the reins in a program like Georgia. All of a sudden now Stetson Bennett truly is a problem for opposing defenses and you saw that on Saturday as Smart said it's not just his ability to deliver the football even through what was appeared to be a little bit of an illness on Saturday uh certainly obviously a little bit of an illness on Saturday it's not just that it's also he can beat you with his legs too and he had a beautiful rushing touchdown for instance and all of a sudden Stetson Bennett's become one of these guys that you actually have to kind of game plan against and coming up with a game plan that works against him thus far we aren't really seeing too many teams be all that effective when it comes to game planning against Stetson Bennett the 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 legend of Bennett's growing but it's not just a cool story like it is a real thing like he is a on a Georgia team that is firing at all cylinders right now Bennett his own play at quarterback is contributing as much as anything else is and it's making Todd Munkin the offensive play calling you know I, I think he's a brilliant mind when it comes to calling these plays all of a sudden that brilliance is thing on full display because he's got a quarterback who he seems to be working very cohesively with right now it's a lot of fun to see it is really a big time to be a dog fan and on saturday against south carolina boy we couldn't get enough of it that's around the doghouse and it's assisted today by our friends at AAA. and a lot of you know I had a call AAA a few times here lately for roadside assistance, various things here and there. Obviously, driving to uh, Columbia on Saturday. I'm glad to know I've got that AAA membership card in my pocket in case something goes wrong. But as you've also heard me say a lot to you as well, we think about AAA for so much more than just roadside assistance. We think about them as a great resource for our insurance needs there as well, including auto insurance. That when you switch your auto insurance uh, to AAA, uh, you're going to be incredibly satisfied. There's a 93% satisfaction rate for folks who uh, get their auto insurance through AAA. So clearly they're doing something right if, if folks are that happy with the auto insurance experience they're getting through AAA. So make sure you switch. They're going to put hundreds of dollars in your pocket for doing so. On average, Georgians are saving big when they make that switch to AAA. But find out why so many folks are satisfied with the kind of auto insurance coverage they're getting when it comes to our friends at AAA. So you can give them a call, 833-718-2075. That's 833 833- 718-2075 find a branch near you and get your auto insurance through AAA and be just as satisfied as so many other folks across our great state have been when it comes to their auto insurance experience with our friends at AAA all right before we're done we're gonna hear more from Kirby on Stetson Bennett including the I guess Stetson flu game is that what this is a la Michael Jordan uh, we also have a really fun announcement we're going to make on the show today before we're done this is something that a lot of folks around here behind the scenes have been working to put together it is finalized we can tell you about it and i get a chance to do that before our show is done kind of a wild week for some of the other sec teams there too we'll cover that some things we got right some things we got wrong we'll kind of go across the full gamut of all of that but for now more on a georgia win against south carolina impressive as it was let's talk to john stinchcomb here on dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. John, I'm glad to have you here uh, on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. I appreciate your insight on the game. 
from Saturday. It was as thorough a beatdown as I think you're going to see. And look, South Carolina's not the best team in the country. We know that. But they're not the worst team in the country either. This was a bowl team a year ago, winning record. Um, I don't, and they're you know, a little bit depleted by injury, but I don't know how many teams are going to get, you know, come in there and drag them around their own stadium by the final of 48 to 7. And the fact that Georgia does it from the jump, from the get go, taking the crowd out of the game, you know, taking any kind of, you know, hope that South Carolina would have had, eliminating that so early, it was ruthless. It was efficient. It was kind of brutal. It was everything you've come to expect from the very best version of Georgia. How impressed with you, were you with what you saw? It's the same type of performance as what we saw in week one against Oregon, where it has absolutely nothing to do with the opponent. It's Georgia trying to play their best version of football, offensively, defensively, special teams. They talk about a standard in Athens, that that's what they're playing to, and they're showing that. That's a, that's a hard concept to execute in, in the game of football. Very often, we'll see very talented teams that play to the level of their competition. And what we've seen early on this season is that Georgia is playing to be the best version of themselves. And, man, does it make for exciting football and uh, truly devastating football for your opponent. I mean, Oregon has has shown the past two weeks that, you know, they're capable and they're going to continue to ascend through this top 25 ranking and, you know, South Carolina is is a team that they're trying to create some identity with under Beamer, but man, when you go up against a juggernaut that is as talented as Georgia is, and they're playing early on in the season as complete and as efficient as they are, uh, man, you, you can't expect or ask for a better performance from a from a team that seems to be the very best in the country and i don't think there's a close second right now so i'll tell you a quick story i on saturday was going down towards the field because that's where we do our post game show from but you have to wait for the field to be clear after the game to get on to the field so i'm kind of standing there next to the georgia locker room kind of waiting for that to happen and when georgia gave up a touchdown you know late in the game it's a meaningless score right but georgia had a chance to pitch the shutout there in columbia there were a lot of support staff folks like that kind of readying the locker room for the team to come back when the game was over and john the feeling around that georgia locker room where i was standing near the very end of that game became really dejected and like it was it almost in that particular moment kind of felt like how it might have felt if you'd seen a late touchdown allowed that that gave the other team the lead that, that puts you in a position to maybe lose the game or you know something along those lines you know dejected there in that moment and then when the game was over the team came through okay so that dejection kind of ended and there was this happy there was this celebration and to me i thought that was kind of the best of both worlds which is that georgia doesn't lose its intensity even late in the game when when they're up big they wanted to shut out that's how intense they're playing but it's also not this sort of joyless experience either and i think getting both those things right are really important that you do want to be intense and hard driving you do want to make the practices tougher than the games and all of that's a big part of the story for georgia but john there's also a way to make that really joyless and make it be the kind of thing that coaches don't want to work around that players don't want to play around and georgia seems to be able to have that intensity while also right now keeping it fun i think scoring points is fun that probably helps but to me somehow some way there's a mentality around the georgia program and i'm gonna let you talk after this i promise but there's a mentality around the program that has been really expertly conjured up where they are super intense without being hard to be around and i I think that's kind of a cool statement at least on what i'm seeing with my own eyes and as a former player I'm, i'm curious what your observation of something like that might be I think that's a very astute observation on your part, B.A. That's why you're the best in the business. (laughs) But you talk about a really challenging balance to find. Um, uh, Jonathan Vilma and I get to still do the Saints preseason games together. We were on the Super Bowl championship team there. And as we give each other all sorts of grief on air, which is fun, (laughs) uh, we also get to reminisce about the good old days, if you will. And that's uh, that season in particular for us, um, we, we had the expectations through the roof. And, you know, you're pushing each other and you're competing on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, you're pushing because you feel like, man, I think we got something special here. And anything less than your best isn't going to get it done. So you're grinding and it's hard. And 
you have to balance that with you got to have fun. And I think our, that team in particular, speaking from experience, it, it's it's not an easy balance to find where you know you're pushing for the very best, and you know when it's the last minute of the game and your starters have already taken their tape off and are you know posing for pictures and signing autographs on the sideline practically um but yet you still care in that last minute and a half of football that we don't allow a touchdown because this is about all of us i think it speaks to uh, just the the level of intensity and the level of uh, of expectation across the board for this team and and to see them have fun and to know that um you're able to push and, and try to redline as much as possible throughout the season and do so in a, a way that you're still enjoying it, that is a really, really special balance that most teams aren't able to find. One, they don't have that capability, but uh, if it's miserable, then you're not going to maximize either. And, and so the, what, a, what a great observation by you, um, and I, it takes that kind of access to, to see it and witness it, but I think that's what makes special teams truly special. And I think in the case of Stetson Bennett, who we talked about a little bit before you joined us, we're going to do more on him before the show is done there too. John, he's been a good story for a while. I think now he's just a good player. You know, it's it, it's still a good story, and it's still an amazing you know testament to his perseverance that he's where he is right now. But now he's just a good player through three games. I think he's playing the quarterback position as at a high level as really anybody in the country is. And I think he's become a very difficult person to game plan against for the reason that Smart pointed out of what he does with his legs in addition to the fact that you know he's darn near 300 yards per game every single game just under that on Saturday but but still to be you know throwing the ball the way that he is adding the dimension with his legs this is a Georgia offense right now that's playing at a higher level than it ever has in program history and I think that Stetson Bennett's a big part of that I could not agree more he's gone from not a weakness right I mean he was a guy yeah. like oh he's, he's not a weakness we can we can work around him he's solid to this guy's a problem he is a problem for other teams, and I, I think it not only speaks for uh, to him and his development and his intuitiveness, uh, his commitment to, to get better as a player, because Stetson Bennett today is obviously not the same guy he was even this time last year. So uh, the fact that he's continued to, to work, which, let's be honest, B.A., this guy's been around since I feel like he played with Greeny and Shock back in the day. <laughs> he's been around so long, but... He, uh, he, he's continued to get better. And right now, the level of play, it makes everyone look good. He's, he's spreading the ball around. He's executing the Munkin offense exactly like it's drawn up. I mean, if we were going to be critical, there was a couple throws that maybe he was a little high on against Samford in week two. But other than that, this guy has been a weapon, a problem, and, you know, realistically – could be in the Heisman Trophy yep. hunt, which if you were to have that discussion this time last year, people would have laughed you off the air, right? And and now it's legitimate. I mean, the guy is, is playing at a really high level and is one of the primary reasons why Georgia is as efficient offensively as they have been. I mean, there's the statistic that they showed on TV um, of the number of possessions that they've had this season and the number – of which uh, have ended in scores, primarily touchdowns, and it's ridiculous. And there's only one player who, well, aside from the center, that gets to touch the ball every play, and it's because of Stetson's efficiency um, and, and his decision-making, which, you know, if you're going to be critical, there was times last year where maybe he was a little too cavalier in some places, but, man, it, he's getting the ball in the right places. He's certainly a weapon when he runs it and um, is, is the primary reason, in my mind, that this offense looks as lethal as it has been through three weeks. So through three games, Georgia's allowing 3.3, uh, you know, points per game here. And, yeah, you know, Georgia hasn't yet played one of the very best teams in the country. But, John, that is such a remarkable level of stinginess, right? I mean, I don't care. I mean, obviously Oregon went out and beat BYU on Saturday, so clearly they're not a – a pushover necessarily 
but but to to have given up though that few points when the standard is like basically nothing like georgia almost pitched shutout on saturday did pitch shutout against sanford even against team like that they gave up like 100 something yards of offense the entire day I mean, you know, we're going to get fixated on stats and we're going to get fixated on some of the offensive stats because that's always just going to drive the headlines, even for people who try to think a little deeper. You know, offense is always just going to kind of, you know, occupy a lot of your mind space. But this defense right now is every bit in keeping with what this defense did in 2021. It may not have five first round picks on it right now, but but it may have five first round picks eventually for some of these younger guys or whatever else. But this is a very, very impressive showing from the dogs defensively through three games. And I think, you know, we talked about it in the offseason. This offense has a higher ceiling than what, what it had last year. There's more playmakers. There's more ability on that side. The expectation would be that the offense is going to look better this year, and they're going to need to because there's going to be such a drop-off and still be good. I mean, the expectation is that this defense is still a good defense but could not compete and compare against um, – a, a truly historically relevant defense that Georgia fielded last year, and all of a sudden you're looking out there and going, man, there's there's a lot of meat eaters out there. I mean, there are some guys that play, are playing hungry, and the standard is really high. And when they do seem to have some yardage and you know, def- the opposing offenses are threatening, they come up with big-time turnovers, and that's that's something that I think any defensive coordinator is really excited about is how how can we get the ball back and how can we create and that's what this defense has done uh, early on. So as these younger guys are quote unquote growing, I mean look at the number of true freshmen out there that are that are making plays on a regular basis, um, and you think that the sky is certainly the limit and. As we go through these "quote unquote" quote growing pains, they don't hurt all that much. Yeah. And, and this defense is looking very much the, the counterpart to to the offense. So again, it's such a balanced performance. And you look at the schedule and you think there's not a lot of huge threats. I think that the one thing you're wondering is is how will this team respond when and if it does respond to adversity or face adversity because they have had none up to this point. All right, so let me be a wet blanket here to close this out on two issues, and one of them is that right there. Given the fact that some of us just have to have something to worry about, do you worry about a certain complacency that could get baked into the cake if Georgia isn't playing any tough games ever? And some of these games should be tougher than they are, but Georgia's just at such a level that makes that hard to do. But do you get softer if you're not ever pushed around? And I don't know on this schedule if there's anyone capable of pushing Georgia around. I realize it just seems like I'm being overly negative by even going that route, but I guess there's a part of me that wonders of, do you need to play a tough game at some point in time? Do you need one of these opponents to step up and challenge you? What happens if that doesn't take place? Well, B.A., we'll have to ask Ohio State and Clemson fans <laughs> because they do it on an annual basis when they play like one big game a year. So, yeah, I think it's they seem to do fairly well. But I think it's you look at the way Georgia is built, their mentality and the identity of this team and the culture that they're propagating on Saturdays. And it's we're worried about us. We're worried about the standard that we set and playing to that level. And I think that approach and that mentality carries you through, carries you through. You know, it's it's a challenge. We've uh, for for guys that have played, we've been there where you're playing against. You know, forgive me to all the Commodores out there, where you're playing in a lesser talented Vanderbilt team, and you're trying to get motivated, knowing that you've watched a week's worth of film. Going, these guys aren't as good as we are, or aren't as good as some of the other opponents we have. It's hard to get up for those games, just like it's hard to just turn it back on when you're playing good teams and you know you can't just flip the switch and say hey we've been coasting but now we're going to be playing at a high level and what i see from this georgia team is it does not matter who we're facing we're going to play to our standard we're going to play at the speed at which we demand of one another and what what's demanded of us from uh, our coaching staff and that's a whole nother animal and i think that gets you ready for the challenges that you'll face 
even without having to face them throughout the season on a regular basis. So I, I think it's about culture. Final thing for me, and this is so unfair. You know, I said going into the game that I was a little concerned about the Georgia rushing attack, and I wanted to see this group come out and average six yards per carry against South Carolina. Well, John, that's basically what Georgia did. If not for some kneel downs at the end, they would have averaged six yards per carry on Saturday. They had a total of 208 yards on the ground. And yet, even with Georgia doing what I said I wanted to see them do, I still sort of find myself having some <laughs> questions with the Georgia rushing attack because the truth is, is like some of that average looks better because of quarterback runs, because of a lad McConkey carry. Obviously, Brock Bowers had a rushing touchdown. Um, I, I, I do think that traditional running back runs for Georgia, those carries that, that your, you know, your lead running backs are going to give you, I do think I want to see a little more from Georgia in that regard. I thought pass rush. I know Georgia didn't you know sack the quarterback a ton on Saturday, but they did bring pressure. Uh, Rattler was running for his life. I didn't have a huge issue with Georgia on the pass rush standpoint on Saturday. That's another issue that I've discussed in the past. I wasn't that concerned by that. But I do think this Georgia running game does still lead a little bit to, to leave a little bit to be desired. Where do you come down on that, John? And is there any other area you kind of nitpick with this team beyond the one that I'm bringing up? Yeah, I, I say this. If we're scoring points at the rate at which we're scoring, uh, we can debate on a Monday morning as to how they can be more efficient in the run game. But at the end of the day, they're putting up crazy points. Yeah. And they are super efficient. You know, it's funny. Um, when uh, we made that transition from Coach Rick to Coach Smart, you know, retention of Georgia's identity of being RBU, you know that that's got to be a part of it, right? And the answer was, yeah, of course. As long as we stay relevant to how the game is evolving, and you know, that's the direction. Coach Munkin has said said it a time or two when interviewed. Is you know, some of these plays that go down as passes, uh, they're like the extensions of, of the run game, and. You know, as a former offensive lineman, I can attest, you're like, ah, oh, whatever, you know, really? And then you see, you know, like the Brock Bauer sweep. Well, that was just a little pitch pass from Stetson, but that's that's blocked like a run for everybody else. And a lot of these plays on the perimeter where, you know, the ball is in front of Stetson, so it goes down as a pass, it's really just widening the field and, and offensive lines coming off like it's a run play. So uh, I do believe that there's some truth in explaining that, uh, you know, some things that are going down as passes is just an extension of the run game. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, we are really just being critical of an offense uh, <laughs> that, that has performed at such a crazy high level that, you keep this up, and, and at the end of the year, maybe we can talk about it. But maybe there's a game that we get to, and we're not able to, you know, exploit the the passing attack with every weapon that any team would have wanted that Georgia seems to have, wide receivers, tight ends, backs out of the backfield, and we're forced to run the ball, and then we'll have to assess you know our ability to do more conventional running but now's not the time to me i think uh you keep scoring and moving the ball that we the way georgia has so effectively um i think you can live with uh where the run game's at and it's not you know the 1990s wisconsin's and iowa's where we you know compound it down anyone's throat whether they like it or not no, I think that's well said, John. Great stuff. Always love your analysis here on a Monday. We appreciate that. Hope you enjoy your week. We'll talk to you back here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia again very soon. Always appreciate it, B.A. Go dogs. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Great time to be a dog fan. Enjoyable season thus far. Reflected indeed in the conversation we just had with John Stinchcomb. Not so happy for some other teams around the SEC. We'll get ready to tell you about that as we go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And it's hard not to think, and listen, there's a lot of hay that's going to be put in the barn prior to all this. It's hard not to think, though, how happy we could be come April. We're back on board. Independence of the Seas. What turned out to be a wonderful national championship celebration last spring 
Could be the same thing again. Second ever cruise with Dog Nation on board. Independence of the Seas this upcoming April 24th. We want you to be a part of it. And by the way, how about that if you're watching in video? How good does Perfect Day Coco Cay look right there? Tallest water slide in North America. We're going to it. Largest freshwater pool in the Bahamas. We're going to be there and be a part of all of that. You see the ship there docked. We're going to do that. We're going to sail in. We're going to park. We're going to get off. We're going to spend a day in what I truly think is paradise. Perfect Day Coco Cay. That's what it's all about. And I want you to be a part of it there with us too because there's nothing better than a royal caribbean cruise vacation especially one that goes to perfect day coco Cay, which is what we're going to be doing we're going to go visit nasa on the bahamas there as well so it's time to get on board it's time to be a part of it now you should do like me and take some other royal caribbean cruises think of these sort of like practice cruises like i feel like i have two practice cruises coming up to get ready for the dog nation cruise i'm going to do some practice in december a little bit of a walkthrough if you will i got my own uh, practice cruise coming up in february there as well and then the big one in april second ever cruise with dog nation royaldogs.com the website you can go to to find out more about it find out about uh, all the great fun we're going to be having also our friend jessica slater even if you've just got some questions about it uh, reach out to jessica uh, you can call her 770-718-9147 770-718-9147 we have a, co a commenter to our dognation.com website his name is bill russell and bill said before the show began hey could not say enough nice things about Jessica Slater and the work that she did getting uh, Bill booked for his Dog Nation cruise. So whether you're ready to book or you just want to have some questions about the experience, go ahead and reach out to Jessica, 770-718-9147, or check out more information at royaldogs.com. Don't forget, if you book between now and September 30th, you're going to get that $100 onboard credit to use while you're on board Independence of the Seas. That's specialty restaurants. That's bars shore excursions things like that you can use that on board independence of the seas but the bottom line is we will see you there in april but got to get you booked up right now as we get ready to do all of that all right i got a lot of sec stuff let's go through some of this as quickly as we can of all the things from this past weekend there was nothing that we were more right about than auburn auburn is an awful football team and we thought the penn state game would be the indicator of that for everybody else turns out that's exactly what it is this team has no quarterback you know it was supposed to be zach calzada calzada couldn't win the job they've been operating with quarterback by default since then it's been tj finley you kind of wonder going forward if it might be robbie ashford either way auburn is terrible brian harson is as close to a lame duck as there exists whether harson gets out on his own and goes back out west to place where they don't play quite as rough as they do down here or something along those lines the Auburn situation is just untenable right now. And you get the feeling and the sense that I'm getting from people that I've talked to who are a little closer to the Auburn situation is, is that there's always this battle going on between the institution and its boosters. And the Auburn boosters have always seemed to have this sort of outsized level of power. And they may be even more emboldened now because Harson wasn't their guy. The institution, you know, Alan Green was athletic director at the time. The institution wanted to pick its own head coach, did not want to listen to the boosters. Well, the coach they picked was awful and no matter how distasteful the attempted coup against him was led by boosters during the offseason the fact of the matter is is what i'm being told is is that they are going to feel me more empowered to pick the next coach because they didn't get to pick the last one and the guy turned out to be a doofus so they're going to be feeling even more empowered in the future when does this happen when does harson get fired it almost doesn't matter for now auburn is one of the worst teams in the sec likely the worst team in the sec west and they were embarrassed at home against penn state there on saturday a game that i did not get right and you're gonna hear me say this a couple of times about you know picks that i made that went the other direction i expected far more from mississippi state than we got on saturday and the truth is driving back from columbia i really didn't get to see much of this game i hope to get a chance to watch some of it at some point this week but I thought that Mississippi State would really assert itself in Baton Rouge against an LSU team that looked like a little bit of a messy operation based on the Monday night game uh, back on Labor Day uh, against Florida State. Mississippi State was actually a slight favorite on the road here in this spot, but did not assert itself really at all. And I, I don't know. I, you know, it, it seems like a lot of what we've praised Mississippi State for coming into this actually defensively. Like, like you think about, oh, Mike Leach coach team. The truth is, is that coming into the game, Mississippi State actually been better defensively than it had been offensively, but it sounds like they had some breakdowns there in that game on Saturday. Some of you who saw more of the game can probably offer more of an expert opinion than I can about how it goes down, but 
Mississippi State was kind of handled, handled by an LSU team that I don't think is anything special. So I was a little surprised by this, just based on what we'd seen from the Bulldogs through two weeks. Another slight surprise, I guess, was A&M getting the win against, getting the win against Miami. And look, A&M makes the change at quarterback. I, I told you on Friday, I didn't feel great about my pick. I had gone against A&M in the spot, but I acknowledge on the Friday show that which think of as sort of like sharp money or like, you know, edge type gamblers. There'd been a little bit of talk about them being on the A&M side going into the game, sort of a classic contrarian take type deal because of how bad A&M had been. I said, and it's kind of a loser mentality, I'll acknowledge, but I had said, listen, the story I want to tell myself is if I do lose, I didn't back an A&M team that has shown it can't score any points. Well, even switching to Max Johnson at quarterback, A&M still wasn't great offensively. I do think that Max is probably better than Haynes King, and it's probably his job here moving forward. But this is still an A&M team that's going to have a really big issue offensively. You know, wasn't all that pretty against Miami. But to me, this game ends up being a little bit of a referendum on two things, the Miami program overall and Mario Cristobal as coach in particular. Look, Miami came in the game kind of a nice ranking, sort of thought of as an upper-tier team in the ACC. This is a A&M team that had just lost to Appalachian State. If you're Miami, you have got to assert yourself on the road better than this. I mean, this is the kind of game that I know they were a point-spread underdog in the game, but is it asking too much for Miami to go in this spot and win when they're trying to be the loudest team in the NIL space for the class of 2023, when they have this you know national championship pedigree going back decades? I mean, are you going to be this much of a pushover in an SEC stadium for a team that's clearly a wounded animal here? And in particular, you're going to point to Mario Cristobal, the absolutely gutless call to kick the field goal late in the game when he had a chance to score a touchdown and really put some pressure on Texas A&M and didn't do it. Now, there was kind of a funny gambling angle to all of that because by kicking the field goal, the game actually stayed under the very low 44 and a half total. But if you score the touchdown there, it also brings Miami into play in terms of covering the spread. But forget about the gambling part of this. Are you trying to win the game or not? And if you're trying to win the game late in the game, facing a fourth down, you don't kick field goal. You try to make something happen. You, your quarterback, all we've heard is how good this quarterback's supposed to be. And yet you don't trust him to do anything there in that spot. And he wasn't playing very well either. But to me, it was just kind of a, was a very weak-looking Miami team here in this spot. This is a team that is all sizzle, no stake. They may have John Ruiz and some NIL stuff going on, but they don't have enough backbone to go into a place like College Station and even really keep it all that close. Not impressed with Miami at all. Not impressed with Florida either. And listen, I, I think I, I jokingly at one point in time said I was going to start calling Anthony Richardson Trill Richardson because – He's the 2022 version of Kenny Trill Hill from uh, Texas A&M for a couple of years ago. No doubt that this just seems, I mean, absolutely one of the most embarrassing chapters and overhyping anybody ever. I'm not going to call out names of people like, say, Aaron Murray, who were very aggressive and talking about how great they thought Richardson was after the, the Utah game. We're three games in the season. He still hasn't thrown a touchdown pass yet. I mean, you can put him right there on the shelf with Kenny Hill, with, remember, Jeremy Johnson, the former Auburn quarterback. Like, Anthony Richardson's the latest chapter in all that. And listen, this is what we said about Richardson, that obviously he's always had the athleticism, he's always had the big arm, he's always had the size, he's always had the ability to run. The fact that Dan Mullen never bought into him more than he did may have been a mistake, but there also had to be a reason that was the case. And the fact that the recruiting industry, watching him through high school, seeing those same skill sets, the fact that they weren't exactly enamored with him as a recruiting prospect either, that had to be a part of this evaluation, that he's clearly always looked the part, but if it's never really materialized for him, there likely would have been a reason that's the case. Well, all of a sudden, over the course of the last couple of weeks, you're seeing all of that play out. Florida is a mess right now, and they, you know, they barely beat South Florida. But can you imagine how bad it would be for this organization, this this program, had they lost to UCF in a bowl game at the end of last year, South Florida in the early stages here of 2022? Oh boy, that would have been a very diminished Florida program losing to two in-state teams that are not of the Power Five level. Uh, they eke out the win against South Florida, but I don't know that any Gators fans feeling good about that situation right now. Ole Miss shuts out Georgia Tech and eventually the Jeff Collins era is going to come to an end I have no idea where they turn next for a coach I know there are the rumors out there about Deion Sanders I mean Deion would clearly be better than what they have had I don't know that Deion would even want the job but uh, it'd clearly be better than what they have had what's amazing to me is when you think about Ole Miss Georgia Notre Dame in the last season now the Clemson game at the beginning of this year was a little bit of an outlier but not only is Tech losing like they're not competitive at all and they're getting shut out badly like Ole Miss averages grits 
Uh, Ole Miss is third or fourth, fifth best team in the SEC West, and they're absolutely dribbling Tech like a basketball. Like this is like it's embarrassing for Tech, and it's getting worse. Uh, boy, uh, tough times there. On, what do you call the flats? That's what it is. The flats. Tough times there on the flats for Georgia Tech. Ole Miss comes into a Bobby Dye makes it look easy. Vanderbilt, congratulations to the Commodores. They exceed their projected season win total in September. They played in week zero. You remember that. They're now three and one on the year. Got beaten up a little bit by Wake Forest, but beat Hawaii, beat Elon, I believe it was, and then beat Northern Illinois on the road into Cab on Saturday. So now they are three and one. Now here's what I believe. Three and one non-conference season for them. I am fairly confident they're going to go 0-8 in the conference play, and I think they'll probably get beat bad in every single game. But listen, hey, if you're holding an over-under ticket on Vanderbilt, you don't care what happens now. Uh, you've already gone over that projection. So congratulations to the Commodores for a very good September. And now, as they say in Game of Thrones land, winter is coming because it's going to be a long conference season for the Commodores. But they got their wins when they could. And then I guess we'll also give a little bit of a shout-out here to Arkansas. Uh, kind of staved off a little bit of an upset threat from Missouri State on Saturday. This one more interesting because Bobby Petrino, the former Arkansas coach, was the coach at Missouri State. But uh, Arkansas does kind of hold off a little bit of a charge there from the underdog and wins the game. And you know, probably not the most impressive fashion, but it's been a good start to the year for Arkansas. And they've got Texas A&M coming up this Saturday. And boy, oh boy, is that going to be a fun game. But uh, Arkansas stays unbeaten, handles the the upset-minded opponent there, and now they'll kind of move on. So not the best game in the world, but maybe not reason to be all that panicked if you're an Arkansas fan. We will make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. All right. Uh, And coming up in just a couple of minutes, I am going to give you a really fun announcement, something I'm very excited about telling you about. been wanting to tell you about this for a while. It is now finalized, and we can do that. I'll tell you about it here coming up in a moment. Before that, though, a couple of things I want to make you aware of. First of all, go to dognation.com, top of the page there, or near the top of the page there. You see the Dog Nation fan poll powered by the Atlanta Braves. Every week we give you a chance to kind of weigh in and express your opinion about something related to Georgia football. You can vote in our fan poll. Of course, it is brought to you by our friends, the Atlanta Braves. And as you vote in that fan poll there at dognation.com, you can also register for your chance to win a family four-pack of tickets to the Atlanta Braves here as the season winds down. They've been doing a great giveaway there with Dog Nation folks. Obviously, the Braves back at home here making a push towards a uh, National League East pennant. Obviously, disappointing news with the Aussie Albies injury from over the weekend, but the Braves are still in a great uh, position here towards the uh, postseason. They need you there at Truist Park for all of that, and they're even going to be doing some ticket giveaway stuff with us there at dognation.com, their Dog Nation fan poll. So go to braves.com slash tickets to be more involved in that. And you can be a part of that uh, there at dognation.com, the really fun Dog Nation fan poll each and every week, powered by the Atlanta Braves. Check out braves.com slash tickets for a lot more on that. All right, so one of the things that was uh, pretty wild on Saturday was not just the big day for Stetson Ben. I think some of y'all saw the numbers what was the stat that he becomes the first quarterback since Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech to start a season three games with in excess of 250 yards passing and a rushing touchdown each of those games? That's pretty rare air for Bennett. speaks to how well he's doing. And on Saturday, the performance made even more impressive by the fact that he had to shake off illness, that he was seen vomiting there on the sidelines. And I guess the, the thing is we're going with overhydrated. Uh, if you go to the Dog Nation YouTube page, you can watch the full interview with Stetson Bennett where he talks about his own perspective on this. The Kirby Smart press conference, he went into pretty significant detail about you know whether or not they considered like taking Bennett out of the game, how sick he really was. But here's a little taste of what Kirby said about Stetson after the game in terms of Hey, shaking off that illness, uh, the the typical heat of williams Bryce Stadium to have the really big game. We talked about him earlier, but here's more of Kirby on Bennett right now. Yeah, I mean, he actually was was uh, dry heaving in, way back in the drive, you know, back earlier when he threw the uh, pass to the flat and he didn't quite get it there. It was not a great pass, and I could tell something wasn't right then. He, was, he fought all the way down through it, and he made a couple throws where he threw up before him, and then he, he hung in there and, and made the throw uh, – after he had thrown up, he just you know, like he overhydrated in terms of drank a lot of water. We kept pump, pumping it in and pumping him in him, and he said he just felt like he had to throw up, so he did. But uh, he's a competitor. He wouldn't come out. So good stuff there from uh, Kirby Smart on Stetson Bennett and the uh, the work that he did there on Saturday, shaking off illness to be able to do what he did. And very impressive. Listen, I think as I told John Stinchcomb there a moment ago, that he's kind of gone from being a good story to now he's just a good player. 
and through illness or anything else that uh, that he comes out there and has a huge game for Georgia on Saturday. We're going to talk more about Bennett throughout the week here this week and kind of you know, kind of where things sort of stand with him, but uh, but certainly very impressive on all of that. Great stuff from uh, Kirby on Bennett and a great game from Bennett uh, there on Saturday, a part of a quite explosive Georgia offense here right now and on dog nation daily presented by Pella window and door of Georgia before we kind of get ready to wrap up our show today I also want to make kind of a fun announcement for you here this is something that we've been wanting to do now we can say that we are going to do it in what appears could be a special season for these dogs no matter how it ends we know that the ride through this season is going to be a ton of fun Saturday another example of that Hey, it's important that around here we step up our coverage and make our show as fun and enjoyable for you each week as we possibly can. And so what better way for us to do that than to tell you that starting tomorrow and then every Tuesday after that, we're to welcome in the great former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm to be a part of our show here each Tuesday on Dog Nation Daily. Now, we had an event with Jake a couple of weeks ago uh, over at Marlowe's Tavern in Dunwoody, and I thought it was just amazing. I thought some of the stuff that Jake kind of revealed there that day from some of his you know connections still being involved with this team hanging around the football building from time to time but also just as a guy who's just a sharp football mind you know nfl starting quarterback uh, a guy who obviously had great success while he was at georgia that there's a level of football knowledge that jake possesses that i thought he really kind of put on display in fact if you want to go back through the archives of our videos and see the event with jake the other day i think you'll see an example of that it was really terrific and i think we're going to get that from jake each and every tuesday in a season in which stetson bennett is having such a special year at least through three games that would seem to be the case getting an expert breakdown of how bennett's performing and the teams that george is going to be facing each week and all that goes along with that what better time to have jake from on our show than right now and so every tuesday we're going to do that including tomorrow so if you're tuning in tomorrow, you get a special treat, and we invite all of you to check it out. Jake Fromm, every Tuesday here on Dog Nation Daily. Cannot wait to make that a weekly occurrence on our program because I think it's going to be a great football conversation. So I'll look forward to doing that with all of you tomorrow. But for now, we'll get ready to sign off, and of course we'll do so the way we always do, reminding you that, hey, Jake Fromm, a part of this. We're all systems go moving forward. Go for two in 22. That's what we're all about here. We're going to keep talking about that, and uh, we're going to keep making fun of those lousy stinking Gators because they're not coming anywhere close to anything like that uh, this season for them. In fact, let's show you a couple of these here right now, including our buddy Mad Dog, who obviously pointing out on Saturday, and we celebrated this you know, during the game, uh, both before and after the game on Saturday. But Mad Dog sending the very sad version of Uh, The president, the last time, I guess, Florida won a national championship, George Bush, 5,000 days it's been since Florida's won a national championship. That's our Gator Hater Updater number and pretty good stuff. Also, Keith Finney making fun of me if you're watching this. So on Saturday, we had to like basically pull over to do our Kroger kickoff because the traffic was so bad trying to get to the stadium. And I tell you, like this is uh, Ella Dorsey from CBS 46 called Columbian Armpit. There are parts of Columbia that aren't quite so bad, but the area around the stadium is like a post-apocalyptic war zone. Like, look where we're doing our pregame show from on Saturday. It almost looks like a 1980s music video or something like that. You get the graffiti on the wall. You've got like a random water heater over there, uh, tumbleweeds. Keith Finney says on Twitter that I was also video bombed by a Gamecock fan there too. Yeah, she kind of ran up behind me and, you know, whatever else. So, uh a little bit of an odd scene uh, for us prior to the game there on Saturday, but we uh, got it done nonetheless. I would dare say that is the ugliest uh, pregame locale we've ever spoken to you from. Nowhere near that, though, when it comes to Dina Pruitt, who also shares this with us there as well. 9 a.m. kickoff in Tombstone, Arizona. Get the RV out. Uh, how about this great-looking setup here? Great party. Uh, get the Georgia flag flying. Uh, RV set up. Uh, you know, good-looking dog fan there with the uh, Titleist. I had on maybe getting a little golf in later on that day. Arizona is obviously a great state for all of that. So good to see Dina Pruitt and her folks having some fun doing all of that. And uh, glad to see uh, Dog Nation spreading out far and wide, including out west to Arizona there on Saturday. That's good stuff to be able to see. Here's what else is good. 5,002 days. That's how long it's been since those lousy, stinking gators 
have won a national championship. And that number is going to keep on climbing. The number that's going down, reckoning is coming, in other words, 40 days from right now, Georgia in Jacksonville, beating up on Florida again. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. You see the golden shoe right there on video. Congratulations to all who won today. And we will see you tomorrow as we continue to go for two in 22, making that push for these dogs. We'll talk to you then right here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Endo and Door of Georgia. And on the podcast, time to have the R.S. Andrews podcast cool down. I'll take your comments here on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. You can send them to me there or in the comments section at DogNation.com as well. Uh, Clayton K. Robinson writes in that we should do a Heisman campaign around Stetson Bennett, just like the one we did for Jordan Davis a year ago. And somebody else said, oh, you should do one for Brock Bowers the same way there, too. And that's kind of why we've been kind of pushing things the way we have been. You know, last year, the thing about Jordan Davis for us was, and we said this over and over, it wasn't obvious that Jordan Davis was clearly the best player in the Georgia defense. It was that he embodied perfectly what the Georgia defense was all about, the sort of team-first nature of you know, sort of sacrificing themselves for individual glory. And I think there's an element in which the Georgia offense is a little bit like that right now. I mean, we obviously made a big deal about the day that Brock Bowers had on Saturday, reminding folks why we really do think that he's head and shoulders above everybody else. But in answering that question, Kirby kind of Kirby kind of pivoted to you know the rest of the offense, mentioning uh, Darnell Washington, the kind of the tight end that's involved in that with him too, and that there's an element in which you know much like this team last year wasn't about just one player. This team this year isn't going to be about just one player even though the quarterback sets a minute through three games is having an outstanding game outstanding season i mean to say it's been really remarkable so that's kind of why we're doing the hashtag go for two in 22 because as georgia makes that push towards another national championship with the possibility of repeating looming as a very real possibility then I think the Heisman thing is going to take care of itself. That if Georgia keeps on the track that it's on right now, and Stetson Bennett's a huge contributor to that, that we think that Bennett is going to benefit from that and be where he should be in New York City with a chance to win. And at some point in time, there's going to be a huge hype train that kind of builds around someone like, say, Caleb Williams, the L.A. quarterback, going to get a lot of L.A.-style love. You know, I think that this week you probably look for C.J. Stroud to have a good game for Ohio State. They're going to probably look to dial up their offense a bit. But um, I, I think that it's sort of more fun to get behind the go for two and 22. Like, you know, I just think that's what you do. And I think that as that continues to progress, the individual stuff, the individual players is going to take care of itself on that. Um, and if you have some thoughts on that or listen, I'm not going to you know take any of this too seriously, but just from the standpoint of, you know, what we talk about here on the show, that's kind of the way that I see it. And if you've got some thoughts on that, I'd love to hear that from you. And uh, Brian Whitehead also writes in, about what has not been a great start to Brock, I should say, to uh, Jermaine Burton's season at Alabama. Eight catches, 61 yards, does have two touchdowns. Those both came week one uh, against Utah State. But just one catch on Saturday against Louisiana Monroe. Had two catches for a total of 10 yards against Texas. And did have five catches, but just for 35 yards receiving against, uh, against Utah State week one. So he's only got a total of you know, just under 60 yards or right about 60 yards receiving for the entire year. And listen, I don't, you know, want to say anything bad about Jermaine Burton. I really don't, you know, go around saying, you know, bad things about any player, whether they play at Georgia, used to play at Georgia or play against Georgia or whatever else. But I do think this kind of stuff matters. And I do think this is the kind of thing that Nick Saban thought he was so smart about in the offseason. They're going to take a guy like Burton who had been used at Georgia and Alabama was going to find a way to use him better there at Alabama. They're going to show everybody how brilliant they are and how, you know, sophisticated their offense is and everything else. And Sometimes life doesn't quite work out that way. And when it comes to recruiting and kind of the zero-sum game of all of that, these kinds of things do matter. It is not a flattering portrayal of the Alabama offense right now to see Burton putting up those numbers after you know there was so much more that was promised to him. Admittedly, that is something we have noticed. And, Brian, I think you're probably right on all of that. Um, Also, you see a lot of Bama fans and Georgia fans and my mentions going back and forth with each other. I'm probably to blame for some of that because of some of the stuff that I tweet from time to time. But listen, it's a fun time to be a Georgia fan. We're having a good time right now. And hopefully all of you are enjoying it there as well. So we'll say goodbye because the show's been long enough as it is. But we appreciate you being here for our podcast, Cool Down, presented by R.S. Andrews. Find them online 
rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. Water heater goes out. In many cases, R.S. Andrews can replace it for you the same day. But you've got to find them online at rsandrews.com. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then.